When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet robe. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by legend, dancer, choreographer, singer, actress. I mean, we can keep going, guys. I don't want to give it all away because we're going to talk about it all. Miss Tony Basil. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited to chat with you. Like, I mean, I meant everything. Like, you're like a legend, Tony. So we have to get into it. Have, we have so much to talk about today. Thank you. Okay. Well, first of all, how is L.A. these days? You're in L.A., right? It's so gorgeous outside. You have no idea. You know, I love L.A. I really, really love L.A. Um, I love traveling. I love to be in New York. But if I'm going to be in New York, I got to be working. You know what I mean? It's... Uh, you have to be working in New York and going out at night and, and, and it's just, you know, it has to be an event. Whereas living and hanging out in LA, not working, I find it easier not to be working in LA. That you know, get in the car, you can drive to the beach. I have five cats. I have a house. I have a garden and I can walk to my markets and they're all open till 1130, 1231 in the morning. And I'm very nocturnal, so it makes me very happy. Did you ever think, because you're an East Coast girl originally, did you ever expect to be to end up in L.A. growing up? Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought I was headed for Hollywood. As, even as a child, I thought so. But, you know, my East Coast was with my, when my dad was the orchestra leader at the Chicago Theater. And that was from 40 seven to 57. Then we moved to uh, Vegas where he was the orchestra leader at the Sahara hotel. So I saw show business, you know, from, from three years old on. And, uh, but I always knew I was headed, headed to Hollywood because that's where, you know, well, it's either New York or Hollywood that it all comes together, singing, dancing, acting, you know, I'm so old school. I'm used to those big American musicals, those movies, you know. Um, but I love contemporary. And, you know, of course, I didn't know I was headed for videos here at the time because I, moved, I was at, moved to L.A. in the mid-60s. So I did all those go-go films and choreographed a lot of those things. And then jumped into the 70s with the street dance community and the lockers. And then... Then, then Mickey happened. Then I started to record. So, and in the meantime, I was working for Bowie, Bette, Tina, you know? So I, I was pretty eclectic and I loved that. I loved that. Well, it's in your genes because in addition to your father, your mother is a vaudevillian acrobatic comedian. Now, what does that mean? I mean, I can make up what that means. But I, I, I can tell you that. They had an act, a crazy act called Billy Wells and the Four Fays, which you can go on my YouTube channel and see Tony Basil's crazy vaudevillian family. They performed 
on Ed Sullivan in 62 and the iconic 1964 when the Beatles were on it. Now, before they were Billy Wells in the four phase in 1927, before that, my mother's two older sisters had another act called Billy Wells and the Eclair Twins. What a name, huh? The right. And you can also go on my channel and see them dancing in a silent film in like 1919. So my genes go back. They just go, they go back so far. And, you know, if you know what the stage shows were like at the Chicago theater, where there would be an opening act that might be a juggler or a dancer, tap dancer. Then the second act was the comedian, like a Henny Youngman. And then the third act was like a Judy Garland or a Sinatra or a Nat King Cole. And then the curtain would come down, the curtain would go up and you'd see an American musical. Then they'd get the audience out and bring a whole nother audience in. And that went on all day long. Can you wow. imagine? Can you imagine that? My father did four to seven shows a day. Such a different time. Just a different time. Now, you have done it all, like we talked about, and we're going to talk about it all, but let's start with dance. Is that technically how you broke into the industry? Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, I was always a cheerleader, always, always, always a cheerleader, and I was always going to ballet class, always going to ballet class. And so when I came to Los Angeles, um, something was happening called those beach films, all of a sudden, it was the, the time period of the go-go era. Now, all of a sudden, there was Shindig, the television show that promoted go-go dancing and acts for the first time on television, like James Brown, and et cetera. Um, but the dancers of that era that were really working in television were all trained jazz dancers, but not club dancers. They didn't know the pony. They didn't know the twist. They didn't know the jerk. They knew kickball change jazz stuff. So there was a group of us that were at the age range that we had studied dance all our lives. But we also went to clubs at night. I mean, I went to ballet class at 1130 in the morning and then acting class at about 730 in the evening and then hit the clubs at 1130. And so when they needed dancers and, choreo and, and choreographers to choreograph that genre that was happening, you really needed to know both sides of the coin. And there was like 20 of us, literally 20 of us. And actually, if you go to my channel, you see a little section of Viva Las Vegas, which I was the assistant choreographer with David Winters on. And Elvis and Ann are singing, uh, what did I say? And he says, see the girl with the red dress on. I'm the girl with the red dress on. But if you see all these people, all these kids, those were the kids that worked every damn job we did from the Tammy show to films I choreographed. I mean, there was like 20 of us that worked, worked, worked. Wow. And they eventually became famous. Terry Garr was one of them. And, you know, she eventually became famous. Anyone else that we know, that we would know besides Terry Garr? Uh, well, Terry Garr. Well, it's people like Anita Mann, she started to produce. Pete Manaphy, who was also a dancer, he, he became a big customer. He did costumes in Vegas and, um, oh my gosh, uh, so many, so many costumes on, on television, so many shows. So they kind of started to do, you know, as, as they grew up, because we were in our 20s, but when they hit the 30s and the 40s, you know, they, they started a kind of a different kind of career. Um, but he did Missy Gaynor's show. So, wow. yeah. So, um, and then on Hullabaloo, um, that David Winters choreographed, I didn't choreograph that. But there was Donna McKechnie on that show, which 10 years later, she was nominated for a Tony for Chorus Line, as was Michael Bennett on that show as a dancer, who, you know, is the famous creative uh, uh, genius of Chorus Line. So all these kids slowly came out of the go-go genre and either started to act or choreograph or direct. 
Wow. And you were also one of the original seven lockers. I was one of the original seven lockers. And think about that group. Don Campbell, Ock Campbell, who created the style, you know, shake it and point and lock it. Think of who was in that group with us. Fred Berry, who became a TV star, rerun on What's Happening, and Shabadoo, who was, you know, the street dance idol in uh, the movies uh, Electric Boogaloo and Breaking. And then I, after that, had the Mickey. So three of us came out of that group that were, it was unimaginable. That group was absolutely sensational. And it really knocked everybody's socks off because I don't think the audience really realized um, that that genre of, of social dance, there was another underpinnings of it. That was the dancers that gravitated towards that were, were, were performers. They were dancers and they just had, didn't have a platform. And as the lockers formed and showed an audience, wait a minute, this is an art form. It, it gave an opening to so many other, other dancers to come, like the electric boogaloos and house dancing and hip hop. And, you know, it gave us to all. So that's all I have to say. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, no, I mean, it really introduced like street dance to the masses. Oh my God. We were on Johnny Carson. We, we opened up at Carnegie Hall for Frank Sinatra and toured with him. So in the same year, we opened up the Funkadelics at Radio City Music Hall. So we had this wide range audience that could open up for Sinatra and the Funkadelics. I don't know anybody else who who really could do that. When I was, um, I was good friends with Ann Ranking. I became good friends with Ann Ranking, who, you know, was Bob Fosse's muse. um, And he starred her in so many Broadway shows. Um, I said, you know, the choreography in the, in the Broadway show Chicago, it looks like there's a section in the Roxy, in, in the Roxy monologue that she looks like she's locking. She said, oh my God, Bob loved the lockers. When you guys were going to be on television, because the only way you would know if who was going to be on television, you'd look in the TV guide. And the TV guide would tell you, uh, who was going to be on Johnny Carson, who was going to be on all these shows. And he, she said he would call all his friends to say, they're going to be on television. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that luncheon, I choked up. I choked up when she said that Bob Fosse is, is calling people, telling people that we're going to be on TV. Holy smoke. At the time, you know, we really, uh, you know, we, I don't think we, we knew we were flying by the seat of our pants and we saw we were getting so many jobs, but I don't think we really realized the historic significance that was happening. At the time. Yeah. Well, in addition to being an actual dancer, you've done so much choreography. And, and, and co-directing, you know, I've co-directed all those shows with Beth, with Bowie, with Tina. So you know, and that's another kind of layer. And that kind of thing, putting all of that together, really reminds me of the American musical that I used to see in the movies where everybody's singing and dancing, there's comedy. Oh my God, who covers, who covers everything more than Bette Midler in her shows with singing, dancing, comedy? You know, she is really like the last of the vaudevillians. Holy smoke. Wow. I've got some questions about that. Okay. But, but before we get there, just from the, as far as the movies go, like how did you, you know, like was that kind of like early on in your career? Like how did you get involved with like, you know, Peggy Sue Got Married, American Graffiti, My Best Friend's Wedding, Legally Blonde? Like how did you Wow, you all these- your homework. That's right. That's right. There you go. Well, I first started out, as I said, um, dancing in and choreographing, assisting David Winners on all these go-go films and TV shows. Then it was there was a circuit of us, and I choreographed um, the Monkey's Film Head. And that circuit of people were Bob Rafelson, Jack Nicholson wrote it. All of a sudden, I was cast in Easy Rider and Five Easy Pieces. So it jumped to the films. And then after the films, it moved on to, all of a sudden, it was the 70s. 
and it was a street dance scene and it was soul train and of course all of a sudden i jumped from the from the, the films i put the films on hold and jumped to uh, uh you know working with with street dance and ma making making that happen now during that time period bowie got in touch with me and brought me out to england to have some meetings with him and then uh called me I don't know, maybe a year later and asked me if I do the opening number of his Diamond Dogs tour. And I said to my agent, trust me, when you make that contract, I'm going to do that whole show, not just that opening number. Because I just knew he, David and I, we got along. We had the same ideas, the same inspirations, the same type of research. Um, so that was the same time period I was doing the lockers. And then I think I ran into Bette. Well, Bette had gotten in touch with me about doing Clams on the Half Shell. But I couldn't because I was already working double time with Bowie and the Lockers. But I think it was 1975. She and I ran into each other at a live Saturday Night Live. And we just got along so great. And I choreographed for her. I think that the show was the tour for the new depression. I think that's the name of it. Um, I've done about nine tours with her. So it's, they're all a blur. Well, so when you're saying, you know, you said you got a call, like how does that work when, you know, Tony's minding her own business? Like does David Bowie call you himself? Do the agents no. call? Like how does that happen? And what we do actually, you say? We actually have the same agents. We actually have the same agents. And my agent called and said, David Bowie uh, is interested in meeting with you. Um, there's projects. Would you fly out to London? And <laughs> what's a girl going to do? Uh, of course. And you know what he sent me to see? Why? In the West End, Rocky Horror. He said, there's this new play that's opened up. You've got to see it. You've got to see Tim Curry. You've got to see this show, which of course was groundbreaking. There was nothing like that before. Uh, before Rocky Horror. So that's what I mean about David always looking into the future and sending me to see something that he wanted me to see and inspire me. We all have uncompromising standards in so many aspects of our lives. Listen, I love to eat healthy and I try not to eat junk food. And when I go on vacation, I'll admit it. I like staying in really nice hotels. It makes a difference. So why would I and why should you skip out on quality where we spend a third of our lives sleeping? Since I have turned to bowl and branch sheets, I cannot tell you what a better night's sleep I am getting. The husband and wife team that started bowl and branch realized there were no sheets on the market that met their standards for quality. So what did they do? They created their own. These sheets are so super soft. They're expertly crafted. They're smooth and they are so lightweight. I cannot tell you the organic cotton makes them feel so lightweight. Now, all of that is great. But you guys know me. I wouldn't use these sheets if they didn't look a certain way. The look is phenomenal. It's very classic. I say simple elegance. And right from the minute the package arrives, it has this gorgeous white bow on it. It's just a five-star experience all the way. I love these sheets. I sleep better and I will never turn to another sheet brand, Bowling Branch. So listen, to experience an entirely new standard of comfort, visit bowlandbranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets with a promo code VELVET. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com promo code velvet start sleeping better in lightweight smooth luxurious sheets tonight so you know yeah so so then i came back to la and then i got a call that he was in new york and he wanted to talk to me about doing an opening number and i just i just knew if that opening number worked out or that first meeting even in new york worked out uh that I would be doing the whole show. And he actually was so gracious enough. He is the first person that, that I think was opening night, handed me this little, this, little, this little piece of paper that the audience was getting. And it said, Diamond Dogs co-directed by David Bowie and Tony Basil. He gave me as a gift 
the co-direction credit because that was not in our contract. The contract was just that I would have choreography credit. Wow. So how generous was he? How generous? Yeah. I mean, was that like, a, you must have been blown away when that happened. Absolutely blown away. I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was just an incredible gift. Now, if you saw Rocky Horror and you didn't like it, what would have happened? Well, there was no chance I wouldn't have liked it. I mean, for one thing, you fall in love with Tim Curry. I mean, oh my God, I'm going to marry Tim Curry or, you know, it's like, and, you know, I I eventually did meet Tim and he and I became very good friends, but everyone in that show was brilliant. Oh my God. Uh, I don't think he ever, you know, I think David also turned me on to another choreographer, John, John Locke, who, oh, I'll think of uh, um, the name of the group of the dancers. Oh my God, they're so brilliant. He is so brilliant. Anyway, David was, David Bowie, like Bette Midler, like a David Byrne, like a David Lee Roth. Boy, I worked with a lot of Davids. Um, They always did homework. They were always searching out for ideas. What was happening in the underground? Always. All of them have that in common and an amazing, amazing work ethic. I mean, obsessive work ethic. Well, now you're behind the velvet rope with this David, so it's another David in your life. Go. What is that? Some like what's something about Bowie that would shock us? Just, I mean, you know, he had a great work ethic. Don't you think it would shock you that David Bowie, out of nowhere, gave me as a gift the co-direction credit? I mean, I think I think that's pretty shocking. I I think that was a. an unusual gift, a, a something that maybe your audience wouldn't think he would be so generous. Is that one of your, you know, because listen, you've done it all. Like you look back at a lot of different career highlights. Was that one of them of like, wow. Absolutely. Working with David Bowie was absolutely one of my career, not just a career highlight, but what a learning experience. What an extraordinary experience to collaborate with someone like that, let me tell you, I did a lot of homework. I was up till four in the morning. I would know what songs we were going to work on the next day. And I would study them. I would come in with three or four ideas. So I could pull rabbits out of the hat if you didn't like this idea or that idea. Um, I remember once knowing I was going to work on a song called Big Brother, which had a crazy, crazy time signature. And I couldn't count it. I'm like up sitting in the bed trying to count this time signature. So I got in early that morning and I asked Michael Kamen, who happened to be his piano player and his orchestra leader, who was the great Michael Kamen. And I said, why can't I count this? He said, oh my God, it's an, it's a crazy, crazy time signature. I don't remember. He said, it's 1112. It's, I don't know. It was, it was something crazy. Anyway, he counted it out for me, but this is the kind of, this is the kind of thing we, we worked on. Um, sometimes I would come in with complete choreography and ideas and concepts and even images like uh, big shadows and silhouettes, which he used for, for, the, for the very opening number. Um, but sometimes we would just improvise. And, 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 and songs and ideas would, would, would come out of that, a phenomenal story where the Diamond Dogs number, where he wraps up the, where the Diamond Dogs actually, their leashes wrap him up and he falls to his knees. Well, the next song was going to be Panic in Detroit. And we didn't know what we were going to do with it. And so we were listening to the music and actually we had the ropes. And all of a sudden, you know that like cartoon, you see a light bulb go over somebody's head in a cartoon. David went, and he took out the ropes, he grabbed chairs, started, started winding the ropes around these chairs. He had been spying with his partner with boxing gloves. He grabbed the boxing gloves, he put the, he said, put on Panic in Detroit. And he sang Panic in Detroit, but he had made this boxing ring. He sang it in that three minutes. And I just started yelling, as we got to the end, knock yourself out, knock yourself out. 
So at the end of the number, he knocks himself out and he falls to the ground. We did that number in three minutes. Wow. That's what's like working with Bowie. If you're collaborating and you're staying on top of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What about working with just the unbelievable Tina Turner? The goddess? The goddess. You know, I got a call from her, from a friend, not from her, in the late 70s. When did she break up with Ike? 70, um, she left Ike. Anyway, I got a a call. Tina's left Ike. She wants you to be her choreographer when she comes out of hiding. That's the word, when she comes up. Okay, so I choreographed her first club club show uh where we did disco inferno that's that's that disco inferno because disco inferno was in her first show um and i choreographed her last tour that we did in um 2010 so i just did a webinar one of my webinars that i did a five-part webinar was a salute to tina turner and i had one of the original Iquettes on it called her name is Lejeune and Tina asked to see the webinar so I sent the webinar to Tina so I've had a little bit of contact with her but let me tell you Tina Tina all she does from the from the very first show that I did with her to the last show that I did with her the dancing stayed as strong the singing got better and the dramatic songs grew because you know she had become an actress and starred in films in between that time. So she grew. And yet she was always in the girls' dressing room, fixing their wigs, fixing, tying. You know what I mean? She was hands-on. And yet she was a goddess. She was always a goddess. And she always had those legs. The dresses were always so short, you can't believe it. And uh, she could always dance. And man, she and Beyonce are the only two people I know who dance in those heels to this day. I don't. I don't dance in those heels. Did Tina, so did she change? Like, did she remain humble, like, throughout all of that? Tina, is, Tina was Tina. Tina was always Tina. All those people, from Tina to David to Bette, because I worked with them all early and all late. And they were all always the same. Nobody ever had an attitude. You know, I mean, their focus was uh, on their, their art and their shows, not on their stardom, really. You know, actually, I think we all enjoyed rehearsing and creating and putting it together as much as the final product, because it really is the journey. It's truly the journey. So Tina's not like a diva boss? No. No. What about, like you said, you had... All of us, all of us are like, you know, on our bended knees to her. She doesn't have to be a boss. Everything is done. What's Tina going to... What are we going to do? Oh, we have everything laid out for her. But even if it's sometimes she said to me, well, I want you to say, she said... I said, are you sure you want to do this number? She said, yeah, and I want you to, she said, I'll sing it and, and you dance it, improvise. Okay, and this is in rehearsal. And we filmed it and that was a choreography. Wow. So, had to be on your toes. Had to be on your toes with all of them, ready to improvise, pull rabbits out of the hat. Same with Quentin Tarantino on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I would hear it echo five in the morning and a night shoot. Hey, Tony, I've got an idea. How long do I have? You have the, the, the lighting setup is about 15 minutes. Can you? And I, what, what, what do you want? And it was uh, during the, um, the, uh, the, the, the nighttime shoot of the Playboy Mansion. And, you know, there were tons and tons, I think 50 to 100 extras. Uh, and there were 10 bunnies. He said, can you grab four bunnies and choreograph something while we set up the lights? Yeah, you have to be on your toes. And they loved, people, they love to improvise. We love to improvise. You know, I tell you something about them. They don't have anybody breathing down their neck. They are their own artist and they can do what they want. Like with a Quentin, he's written the movie. 
He's directing the movie. He's producing the movie with Tina. It's her show. It's, it's theirs, you know, they're nobody's puppet. And so they're able to create, even though every, <clears throat> everything is always planned out. There's a script, there's a plan, there's a, there's a set list, but it's always malleable. Everything's malleable to creative ideas. And I think um, that's what makes them so organic, organic and authentic. Because you're seeing the real people. How did Tina seem? You said you had some recent contact with her when you sent her this video recently. I got, yes. Well, June called me, which was the Iket that was in, in this particular webinar. Um, because we, we featured all the choreography that Tina Turner did with the Iquettes. Tina choreographed the Iquettes. Why she hired me, I'll never know. Because the Iquettes choreography is the greatest I've ever seen most creative it's crazy so lejeune said that she she had lejeune it was lejeune who said she wanted to see it and um um, she had sent lejeune a message that she loved it so we were really excited was it great to talk to tina after all these years well i didn't or it went it went through lejeune yeah i went through lejeune but i had just seen uh, tina i mean in um what 2010 you know so that's what is that 10 years ago not I mean, so long. You no, know, I mean, we started to work together in the 70s. And nothing ever ends. There's, there really is no goodbye. I mean, nothing ever ends. Something comes up, I'm there. You know? Wait, I have another question. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? For me, listen, I love being the host of the Behind the Velvet Rope podcast, but bringing you guys five shows a week, tracking down the top Bravo liberties to bring you new creative content every day. That causes me stress. It causes me anxiety. I'm not even going to get into the lack of sleep or lack of a relationship. So I needed somewhere to turn. And for me, I turned to BetterHelp. I love BetterHelp because it's professional counseling right from the comfort of your own home. What they do is they match you with a licensed therapist who's a professional that fits your needs and the things that you want to talk about. So you may not have the same issues as I do. They also deal with LGBTQIA issues, anger, grief, trauma. If you are having relationship issues, if you're in a relationship, good for you. I'm not. They really deal with everything and everything you share is confidential. So I cannot stress how much because of this job that I love so much it has caused me some issues and BetterHelp really is a lifesaver. Right now, if you guys also want to start living a happier life, as a listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash velvet rope. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash velvet rope. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Velvet Rope. And as a listener, you guys get 10% off your first month. Try it. I promise you, you are going to feel so much better once you talk to one of their licensed professional counselors. And listen, so many people have been using BetterHelp. They're actually recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. DM me. Let me know how it goes. This has been a lifesaver for me. I do know. Well, let's talk about, because, I mean, you've mentioned Bet. How did you, you ran into her at Saturday Night Live? That's how you guys yeah, met her. So she had talked to me about doing Clams on the Half Shell. I wasn't available. She had a great, great people working for her. She really didn't need me on Clams in the Half Shell. But uh, anyway, um, yeah, we got along great. Um, we love to shop and we love to work. So it's, it's kind of a really nice collaboration. Actually, um, I don't know. She, this is her. See this long desk? Yeah. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. 
Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. Okay, well, that's her daughter Sophie's desk from Sophie's bedroom after Sophie, after they changed houses or something. I got it. So I get her cast off, which I, which I like a lot. Do you get a lot of Beth's hand-me-downs? Yeah. And sometimes she says, do you remember what I gave you? Yeah. Mm, I ca- I, can I wear that tonight? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, we shop together. Mm-hmm. What's the best thing that Bette has begifted you when she was done with it? Well, you know, um, you can't see it, but my, my, my friend Christina Benedetti is sitting on a couch that turns into a bed, and I have another couch back there. She, you know what her best, you know what she's gifted me with? Her friendship. That is the best damn gift, that her and my friendship has just gone on and on creatively and. Um, emotionally you know is that great or does that make it harder you know like when you're doing a job oh, and you've when we're working when we're working um i'm this yes ma'am when we're working oh yeah and then after it's like okay well let's go yeah. out for a drink well we don't drink after we we might powwow and figure out what we're doing the next day but uh yeah she's driven me home a couple of times <laughs> you know yeah and you guys just bonded, like, outside of the work? You're just like, I mean... Yeah, is- we, we, we do, stay in, do stay in touch. I mean, I talked to her, I don't know, three days ago. So, oh, I went over to Mickey Fine's Pharmacy. That's who was having the shot that week. So we made a little event. I sang, hey, Mickey, while they gave me the shot. It's on my Instagram and uh, we, we had a little uh, little event for it. It was fun. Did you purposely pick Mickey's Pharmacy knowing that it was... No, no, no. I was looking to get a shot. And um, we, you know, you know how you sit on the computer and you look to see what's available? Oh, yeah. So I had a couple of my friends looking to see what's available because they were looking for their shots. And my girlfriend called me, Tracy Cunningham, who is the the hair colorist to the stars. And she said, uh, and she wants a Johnson and Johnson. And she said, I hear Mickey finds Mickey finds pharmacy is, 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 is doing shots today. I went today. Well, I don't have an appointment and I can't rush over. And she said, I think maybe they're doing them on Sunday. She said, I'm going to call somebody who told me about this. They called Mickey finds pharmacy who went Tony Basil, who sings, Oh, Mickey, you're so fine wants to come and do the shot, uh, maybe we can make it an event. So they got the, the owners gotten in, in touch with me and it was like, you know, sometimes things fall together. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that, that was really, it, it fell together. And I did not have much of a reaction at all, I got to say. That's good. Yeah. You mentioned Quentin Tarantino, who I know calls you the goddess of go-go. 
the goddess of go-go. How thrilling was that? You can go on my YouTube channel and see that. My, my friend, Tina Malave, who who's actually did a couple of articles uh, for Eye on LA uh, on me, once on the 80s, with Shabadoo, actually, because he had his movie in the 80s and I had my song in the 80s, and then another on LA culture, which she featured the lockers, which were in the 70s. And she was doing um, an interview with Quentin of the people behind the scenes. You know, the, the, the uh, graph, the nominated, oh, I can't, I can't think of any of their names right now, but the set designer, the costume designer, everybody was nominated. Um, so she, she did a, with Quentin, who sat down with her and did a people behind the scenes with them instead of, you know, talking about the actors. And um, they started talking about me. And he said, oh yeah, she's the goddess of go-go. So there you are. I mean, I'm sitting watching the TV because she said, it's going to be on and you're going to have a big surprise. And I'm like sitting there and, and he started talking about my whole career. It was, it's just, it was so exciting for me. Just so exciting. I mean, from someone like that, who's such a perfectionist in well, so many he, ways. But he also, his, his legendary myth is that he's got a photographic memory. And he does. You know, he worked at Blockbusters as a kid. He saw every film. He memorizes. He knows everything. And when I went in for my first meeting, he knew all the movies I had done in the 60s. And of course, the movie was about the 60s. What he didn't know is I knew Sharon Tate and Roman, and I dated Jay Sebring. So that meeting was like, holy smoke, this is the right girl for this film. Because I knew the dancing like the back of my hand. Also, he wanted to do a scene that took off the, the takeoff of Hullabaloo. We did club scenes. So um, I talked about Michael Landon, who had done, who had hosted a Hullabaloo. I said, Quentin, he actually uh, sang and he danced the Freddy. Quentin Tarantino got up and started dancing the Freddy. He said, the Freddy. And I thought, and I looked at the producers and I thought, you know what? I got my work cut out for me and I better know my stuff because Quentin Tarantino could choreograph this. So he knows his stuff. Well, you also made a cameo on the flight with Margot Robbie. That's right. I did. I did. How fun was that? It was very fun when I saw, I was like, oh my God, there's Tony. <laughs> yep. What's Margot Robbie like? Is she easy she, to work with? Alec. She's so sweet. Once again, drop dead gorgeous, but rehearsal, rehearsal. Actually, we worked, she lived not too far from me when she, when, when she was in LA shooting. And we worked in this studio many a day, just doing the pony, the jerk so that she was oriented in her body to know what those dance styles were like in the 60s. So, because we knew Quentin might say to her in an acting scene, oh, can you move around a little bit? I wouldn't be there. She'd be on her own. So we, I worked with her so that she could improvise anything at any time. And we worked here maybe five, five different days wow. in, this room, in this room right here. Speaking of your movies and the ones that you choreographed, what's it like working with Julia Roberts? Julia like Roberts has a photographic memory also. Julia Roberts is not a dancer dancer, but something like her and Reese, Wither Reese, they all have photographic memories. I think that's part of being a great actress because the dialogue becomes second nature. And they're able to work on the character. They're not struggling with the dialogue. And they, like Leonardo DiCaprio, photographic memory. They, they, uh, she, she was really extraordinary to work with and hardworking. And we had to, I actually went down to South Carolina to work with her. Um, and then I had to come back here to work with Dennis Quaid because they were doing the same, you know, they were in the same number. So when I went back down again, Julia remembered all the staging and all the choreography. She was, she's, she's, once again, everybody's about 
focus and about work. These people are not party people. They're not. They work hard at their art and they love it. It's their party. It's my party. Pre-production is my party. You know, I don't, I mean, that, that's pre-production rehearsal. I love it. So you're saying like a Margot Robbie, Leonardo DiCaprio, Julia Roberts, and Reese Witherspoon, just they pick it up, the choreography. Yes, they work hard, but they do. They all, I mean, all of them have that in common. They, they can pick things up very quickly, very quickly. Um, the bend and snap, I think I had um, uh, her for a half day. Reese was a half day in rehearsal. And we would rehearse it probably, I think it might have been three weeks before we shot it. So, you know, there's a span of time where you can forget a lot of choreography. Also, um, I recall I did, I did Legally Blonde too, And there was a little scene where they kind of did a cheerleader thing. You know, I taught her that at her lunch break. At her lunch break. So fast and furious, you need this kind of brain. These people are not just a pretty face, you know? They, well, they have, they, they're, they're, they, they've got the ammunition to deliver. The bend and snap, I mean, that's an iconic scene in Legally Blonde with Jennifer Coolidge and Reese. Yes, and, and I've got to hand it to the writers, the screenwriters of the bend and snap uh, of, the, of the whole movie. They came over to me before, I think they really cast me as the director. Uh, and, and they said, we have this number called the bend and snap. And, and, and they had an image, an image in my kitchen of what they wanted the bend and snap to look like because they had written it. They had an idea. So I ran with that idea. So is that how that works? Like they give you the idea and then, okay, it's up to you to say. They're the writers in this particular situation. Of course, I elaborated on it and, you know, did, did a lot of work and a lot of staging and choreography and, and thought, but yes, the seed of the idea Usually I'm handed a script and I start to read it and mark off where all the dance scenes are. But in this situation, I was brought the script by the writers to my house with the dance scene already marked off because they knew it was important. What about, is there an actor or actress that, you know, no shade, but they just, it took, they just didn't get it. It took a long time. They're just not, they just didn't have it. No, not an actress, because if they're at that level of acting, they've already got the goods. I think more you run into a situation with maybe a record company and maybe a new artist and the record company might call you and say, um, how quickly can you get my artist to dance like you dance? And I said, well, you know, how do you even answer that? question you know to somebody that thinks that dance is just so instantaneous so you work with that artist and you you develop something of theirs some kind of charisma do you remember the song um i had a bad day you remember that song i had a bad day yeah okay so i got a call from um was it i had a bad day or i had a good day had a bad, had a bad day. I think a bad day. I got a call. I got a call from the record company saying, "We have this artist. He has a big hit. He sits at the piano. He's gonna, he's gonna do the Tonight Show. Can you help him?" So he came over here, and I have a little Rhodes piano, and you know he was singing the song, looking down. I said, "Oh no, you gotta look up." Maybe, you know, and, and we start to, I put a camera in front of his face. I said, sing the song, looking at the camera. You know, you, you kind of do what you can do in, in a short period of time. You know, if somebody says, can you choreograph a West Side Story? Yeah, if I have the dancers and six months. But if I don't have the dancer and I don't have six months, you got to deliver what you can deliver in that amount of time. And that's something that sometimes with the record companies, if they're shooting a video and the artist has a very short time to work on the video, you've got to explain that. 
what about, because like you mentioned Beyonce with Tina Turner, like is she someone you would just love to work with? Like who would you love to work with if you get their hands on them? Any and all of those incredible women from J-Lo to Madonna to Beyonce, all of them. Are you kidding me, Paula? Uh, Paula and I are really good friends. Do you understand what it takes to sing and dance for two hours in a whole show? I couldn't imagine. I think it must be so hard. The, um, the amount of rehearsal, the amount of thought, the exhaustion. Um, because they're, they're doing all these jobs. They're the star. They're the dancer. They're the singer. I mean, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's quite consuming. And it's really a lot to take on. It's really a lot to take on. So any of those, even Madonna? Because, I mean, Madonna has a oh reputation for oh being... Oh, my God. Yeah. No, I almost, almost, almost had the opportunity. Um, she was getting ready to do Truth or Dare, well, uh, the, 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 the tour with Vogue in it. And she was working with a choreographer that was not working out. And um, I during that time period was developing either for bet kiss my brass or miss millennium. I can't remember which. Um, and I got a call when I was in rehearsal, Madonna would like to meet with you for, for, for this show. And I said, I'm not available. And then she met with Vince Patterson also who did a phenomenal job. Oh my God. Vince came in and I don't think, I don't think there could have been anybody better than Vince for Madonna for that show. It was, he did a fantastic job. And I think you're mean for the, cause I think that that was the girly show tour after. The after movie. No, the girly show happened after that. So it was the tour before that. That yeah, was the tour before that Vogue was in. So like you, you see my mouth is on the floor cause we all have our favorites, but so just entertain me for a minute. Cause I mean, so wait, so you turned down Madonna for bed. I so I didn't turn down because I didn't have the job. She just wanted a meeting with me. But I, I, I turned down the meeting because I thought, well, I, I, I can't waste her time when the timing is the same as working with Bet. And I was already with Bet. How great it would have been to have done both. Now, I did Tina and Bet almost at the same time. But Bet, I worked with her on the Caesar Palace show starting 2000. Eight, so we were up and running. We well, no, two thousand seven. We were up and running by two thousand eight, two thousand nine, two thousand ten at Caesar's Palace. I choreographed Tina starting in two thousand nine, but I had already finished choreographing that show. I was always there at Caesar's Palace with Bet, but I was able to leave and come back because Bet was doing the show. She was. Um, leapfrogging the show with Elton John. So we would have like a month off and then she would go back a month. So I, I did have the time. So I was working with those two divas at the same time. Well, that's not easy, I'm sure. And you had an amazing career, but like, do you ever look back at a moment like, okay, like do you ever regret, like I could have worked with Madonna? Well, it doesn't mean I won't. Nothing's ever over. I'm telling you, I am telling you, you know, when, when you have Quentin Tarantino knocking on your door about choreographing something that you had lived in the 60s and it was 2017 or 18, you realize nothing is ever over. It's never over. It's, it's, always, it's always out there. Nothing is ever over. Now, I don't think you'll work with Tina again in a stadium because I think that is over. Per her, she's announced many times. I, I, I really do believe Tina. Well, yeah, like Cher. They all announced they're retiring. Yeah, yeah. But you never know what she, she'll do this or that. Or, you know, she's going to do some performance somewhere in Germany. I, I could be flown to work with her there. doesn't need to be a whole tour. It, it could be many things it could be many things that's true yeah it's never over it's never over never over well what about because I was going to ask you about Paula I mean I imagine you guys would come in with each other like you would be up for the same jobs often maybe 
now? I don't know if we, I don't know if we were ever up for the same job. I tell you something, she's got a job now I love. She advertises Volterra. Have you seen the TV show, the, the TV commercial? She no. advertises this, 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 you know, it's like, um, um, it's like an ointment you put on if you're stiff, like a Bengay. And whoa, when I saw that on TV, I thought, I use Voltaren. I would have loved to have done that campaign. So you, you, you see things, you know, or, but pa- Paula, Paula had, you know, a career with Janet. And then she went on to, to become a pop star herself. So we've had similar career in, in, in an interesting way. We go back and forth and choreograph for people and, and perform also. Yeah, and I'm sure there's more. It's just when I hear choreographer who also is a singer, you and her are the first two that come to mind. Yeah, well, we probably are the only singer-dancers that choreograph for other people. I mean, yeah, Beyonce doesn't choreograph for somebody else. Yeah, she, but no. she choreographs for herself, trust me. Now, how, speaking of, how did you, you have this amazing dance career. You've choreographed so many movies. You've been in movies. You're, how do you go from that to Tony can sing? Like, how did this whole Mickey well, come Tony, about? No, Tony could always sing. It's just that when I came out here to Hollywood, the big opening was, oh, my God, you know how to jazz dance and you're, you're that level of jazz as dancer and you know how to do the pony and the jerk that was open to me all of a sudden there was this slot this slot that about only 15 of us including david the great david winners the choreographer who came out of west side story who i assisted that fell into that slot you know you take what's there and what what could be more fun than to be choreographing for elvis but i tell you i recorded a song in 1967 called breakaway which um, was 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 shot for with an underground filmmaker who is now a very was became a very famous artist called Bruce Connor, and that that film is shown in museums when it when his shows tour all over the world. So I was singing in the '60s. I just didn't get a chance to record again until the mid '70s. Hi, I'm Chris Gethard, and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number, thousands of people try to call, I talk to one of them, they stay anonymous, I can't hang up, that's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings. Crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today, Beautiful Anonymous. But that's not that long. That was just 10 years later. No, and you were busy during it. So, was, And you know what? I was busy dancing and choreographing for people like Bette and Bowie and with the lockers. So when it was my turn to do videos and to sing and dance, I had already worked with these people. So, you know, one hand washes the other. You come out with a, not a, lot, with a hell of a lot of knowledge working with a Tina or with a Bette or with the Bowie. I mean, I might have gifted them with choreography, but they gifted me with, with a lot of inspiration. Actually, the first show I did at the Roxy was based on songs I'd choreographed for other people and always wanted to do myself. So really? that, yeah, that was the first, and I did it at the Roxy, and then I got a, um, a, a recording, um, contract with Warner Brothers. Jerry Weintraub was my manager and we put on shows and then we did another album. Uh, We did Live at the Roxy and then we did another album uh, for Warners and then I did a a show called at the Fox Venice and I did a pilot for a TV series in 79 and then the pilot didn't happen but this European company heard about me and they were interested in looking for singing, dancing, performing girls. And uh, Mickey was part of that recording contract. Wow. And I know yeah. you're the one that came up with the, Oh, Mickey, you're so fine. Absolutely. So I put the chant on that, on a song called Kitty. Mm-hmm. 
so where did that like where does that inspiration come from well i was a cheerleader all my life i was always a cheerleader and in cheerleading you know there's all the social dances and a lot of staging halftime entertainments and doing things like that so when i started to have a create an album to write i wanted to write something to remember there were songs that this woman shirley ellis did called the name game uh the the, the banana man and she just kind of rattled off like a chant name the name game she ran rattled names off um and i i i always knew that in the basketball courts when we were stomping and clapping that it was infectious and i thought ooh there's a record here and i i worked with the devo people i worked with ali willis who wrote with earth wind and fire nothing happened nothing nothing happened we couldn't kind of make a song out of it but um then i thought you know i'll put a chant on a song so that's how that happened you know as i said things develop this doesn't work out you work on that you know things blossom they blossom now the record company which was an english record company and the songwriters which are australian and english had no idea american cheerleaders they said she's what she's putting it you know it it didn't make any sense because they'd never they weren't familiar with american cheerleaders uh and they couldn't look us up couldn't look them up on youtube because there was no youtube yet so um anyway but but i forced my hand and is that what happened like they just were like what the hell is this no one's going to be yeah. interested in oh maybe yeah, i said well, we'll, we'll, we'll record it and we'll put it on the track and see Thanks for tuning in to part one of our sit down with icon, legend, choreographer, dancer, singer, actress, everything you could imagine, Miss Tony Basil. And stay tuned for part two coming soon, where we talk more about the music industry. We talk more about the people she worked with. We talk about Michael Jackson. Actually, here's a little excerpt of what's to come for part two. Enjoy. And see you guys soon for a continuation of our chat with Tony Basil. Here's an excerpt. I'm still dancing. It's when you stop and then you try to start again. I think that was, I think that was a lot for Michael. I think that had a lot to do with Michael's demise. He had stopped for six years and all of a sudden they talked him into doing a tour and he's trying to sing and dance and rehearse in a small amount of time. It was killing him and it did kill him. that's just my opinion because it, that's that's so 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 difficult if you stay on top of it if you stay on top of it you can continue it's when you stop you know michael jordan can't jump in and he can play basketball he can do hoops but he can't you know i mean the stamina of trying to get back into the game oh my god and you you just you just have to to continue I think it's I think it had to have been so exhausting and so physically taxing and you know he's he's got to have his hand in it he's got to be creating it he's got to be making decisions he's got to be rehearsing all day he's got to be dancing like he danced and he's got to be singing like he's singing I mean the amount of energy that it must have taken and you go home at night and you can't even walk because you're so stiff and sore and hoarse and you can't sleep and what does he do to sleep you know something that none of us would do to sleep but uh you know he started to figure out a way to sleep wow that's pretty dramatic to have to go to sleep that way so yes i do feel as though it was a lot it's a lot for anybody to put on a show like that no less to live up to being michael jackson and we still and we have to be michael jackson 
Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu.